So Flick City, it's up. I haven't done Flick City in about six, seven months because I'm not doing any interviews for the Cinematics podcast feed. It's it's a podcast feed that'll be up after our main movie review show on which I'm going to put up, try to put up every Wednesday night moving forward. And then on Fridays, we will have an interview. No, Bruce, I'm not, I'm not leaving you out too, Bruce. Once in a while, you're going to do interviews because remember, you were you were the first out the box. Remember that? You were, you know, when you I had that time? Way back in the day. <laughs> way back in the day. So I actually interviewed some people. You do it, and you will down the road if 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 the clowns ever ever open up. But Eric clowns, do you say clowns? The clowns ever open up? <laughs> yeah, something will open up hopefully down the road. Eric Holmes, what do you have for us this episode that Bruce and I and other cinematics? folks can listen to for this episode of Flick City. I suppose I'll start off with Squealer, written by Daniel Bergio and Andy Armstrong, starring Wes Catham, Theo Rossi from I uh, Played Juice in uh, Sons of Anarchy, Tyrese Gibson, Kate Moaning, and it's basically kind of loosely based on a real-life serial killer, pig farmer, and mm. butcher that would basically bring people in and kill them, feed them to the pigs, I guess. You remember in the late 90s, early 2000s, they had all those uh, directed direct-to-video serial killer movies? And a lot of them were like they had Dahmer, Ed Gain, yeah. uh, Night Stalker, mm-hmm. uh, what what else? Gacy, like they, right. they had like a bunch of them. This kind of falls into into that category, which sounds bad, but I actually kind of dug those those kind of series of movies. I, I kind of like this one, and it has a it has a lot in common with that. Who did you interview for this one? Oh, I, uh, the writers and the director, so Andy Armstrong and Daniel Bergio. Okay, yeah. Um, I cannot tell you what we talked about because I don't remember because that was no. a couple of days ago. Okay. And my my brain doesn't go that far back. Okay. But uh, yep. I I will say uh, uh, Andy, I did find out that Andy Armstrong was related to uh, Jesse B. Johnson, so that that was exciting to know about uh, because they, they both have extensive stunt background. Both uh, both Danielle and Andy do, and so we got to talk a little bit about like uh, kind of how that transfers from you know, one, one, uh, method of filmmaking to another. Do you have a rating for squealer? Just gave a rating for five nights at Freddy's of three star banger. And I like squealer much better. So it feels weird giving a three star banger. But if you like, um, if you dug those kind of late nineties, early 2000 serial killer movies, this is going to be right up there with those. I think it's kind of got an added benefit that it's squealer is not really based on anyone. So it's got the less grossness. It's usually attached to, watching a movie about a real life serial killer um so yeah three star banger definitely i apologize for bearing the lead i i'm assuming that squealer is not the lead i'm just a three-star banger and would be interesting i'm glad that you recommended it eric but what is we're going to lead off also with your interview with i believe scott hamilton is that scott hamilton Uh, scott hamilton kennedy scott hamilton kennedy and producer neil degrasse tyson what did you talk to them about basically what shot in the arm is about is on the surface, it seems like it's about uh, COVID and vaccines and the disinformation that kind of went along with that. It ended with the, uh, not the spoiler alert, but you kind of got to know this. It, it ends with the January 6th thing. I've seen so many movies, uh, documentaries that do that. And I was like, what the hell does January 6th have to do with, with vaccines? Like it, it, like it didn't connect. And I'm watching the movie and it's not gelling in my head. And then I kind of reflected, and I'd mentioned this to both Neil deGrasse Tyson, and like, I don't get it. And then I reflect on it a while, and I'm like, oh, this isn't about vaccines. This is how disinformation, if let unchecked for long enough, can become a problem. 
That's what this is about. And so you got to go in it uh, with that kind of mindset. Otherwise, it's going to go right over your head, just like it did mine. Would you recommend this documentary? The people that need to see it the most will hate this. They they won't even give it two minutes. So I would, but I mean, I'm, I'm barking up a tree and trees don't typically talk back. So. Okay. How was that interview with Neil deGrasse Tyson? Was it? Were you a little bit intimidated with? Uh... Uh, not intimidating. Definitely surprised because I I thought that I was going to interview him, but I wasn't quite sure because like I knew he was the the producer. I knew for a fact I was going to talk with the director, but I was like, ah, oh, he's probably going to like cancel last minute or something. This, this is never going to happen. And then <laughs> I opened up the Zoom link and he was there. I'm like, this is probably the one of the greatest things ever. Next is Scott Atkins. This is like the second best, <laughs> most excited I've been for an interview. Bruce, if you could um, interview Neil deGrasse Tyson or Scott Atkins, what's your choice? I mean, they're different. I, I could go for either one, actually. <laughs> that's but fair. That's fair. That, I mean, at the same time, maybe <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, yeah. Very the, the the only the only drawback I had to interviewing Neil deGrasse Tyson is, and this is not a bad problem to have. It's probably the problem you want to have is that we could have went for hours, and 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 that, and like you know, he's such an engaging and talkative guy, and, and as is Scott Kennedy, and and then to get two people like that, that they can both kind of respond and hold interesting conversations. I think I talked to them both at the same time within like a 15 minute. It's like, Oh, how, how do you do it? I don't know, but wow. we got through it. We could have gone for hours. I wish someone said that about me, but instead I'm a 50 year old lonely man. <laughs> Bruce, what do you think of that? It's I'm sad. You know, it's, it's just how you use the, that minute or two that you have. You have to use it wisely. <laughs> Use it wisely. Okay. Well, hopefully you have more than a minute or two. Shot of the Arm is out right now, I believe. I think it's out in theaters this week at the Angelica, but I will leave a link where you can actually see it on upcoming dates. There's different dates on November 17th, November 3rd, and we'll hopefully it'll have a website as well. What's the other one? Squeal. What's Squealer? Squealer. Squealer. It's, I believe out in theaters as well on friday yes eric you wanted yep. to say something before i was oh, i just want to give a quick uh start rating on shot in the arm yes um, sir so the first time i watched it i was like this is probably two and a half three star movie and then once i reflected on it seeing what the what the bigger story is it kind of kind of had value added for me so probably go four and a half on that because it's mm. it's a lot smarter than i originally gave it credit for but again the people that need to see it the most won't give it the time of day so i'm not faulting the movie for you know, people not giving it the time of day, but it's just an unfortunate thing with uh, really great documentaries like these. Squealer, 100 Minutes, Lionsgate, Thriller Horror, Eric Holmes. Should Bruce Perky waste his time watching this movie? Will it be a movie Squealer? for him or not? Yeah. I, think, I think Bruce, uh, I think given what I kind of prepared him for, if he liked those kind of movies, I think he might appreciate Squealer. I don't but, know. Did, did you like those like Gacy, Ed Ginn kind of type of things? I don't think I've seen many of them, but you know, I could I could go down that path if I'm in the right mood, you know, for some kind of just B movie versions of like true crime. I could I could do that. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll yeah, see. It's got Maybe that we'll kind of it's got that kind of trashy kind of what do you call it, like a thriller aspect to it, but okay. yeah, it's good I, stuff. I have one last question for Eric before you like launch into the actual interviews. Does Shot in the Arm include a Weird Al parody of? <laughs> Bon Jovi. And hopefully you're saying yes. Otherwise, it will stay at yes. four and a half instead of five. Okay, good, good. Thank you. <laughs> yes, no. yeah, yes, it does. And also, since we finally, after all these months, of, I'm not even going to call it Flixie, we've opened up these interviews, these new interviews for cinematics. 
Bruce, we're, we need to actually figure out a way where we can start archiving some of these what's in the box stuff. I will make sure that we'll organize it very well so we can have sort of a, a master list of starting with these interviews of like what's in the box stuff and who said it. I thought we got to find a way uh, to archive it. Yes. Scott Kennedy did. I, I asked him to put a movie in the, I believe it's Scott Kennedy. It could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was him. But I had him put a movie in the box. And he's like, all right, now let's see. Now I'm sure you probably have this. Uh, you probably have it like archived somewhere on your website, but uh, I will go with. And as soon as he said that, I'm like, we don't. But we should, and he was talking about like the movies that are already in the box, like have okay. a have, have yeah, a master. We should list. have we should have a master list of everything that's been in the box and been watched and reviewed. Oh no, he was talking good. about movies that are in the box now, waiting to. Oh be god, pulled. I don't even know what movies are in the box now. I have to take <laughs> them all out and write them down. I I, <laughs> wow. I literally write them down on a piece of paper. I roll them up and I throw them in the box, so I forget yeah. they're in there. So sometimes I get them in there two or three times because I so I, get, I forget that I put it in. I put it in again. So. Well, but, I, but he but he was talking about doing like a master list, which seems like a great yeah. idea because we may never get to the may never get to the movie, but there will be a list there. So it's like, oh, these are the movies in the box. Maybe I'll just go through them and get to them before they do. Who knows? We will make that sure we we have a way to archive it, starting with with these two sets of interviews for Squealer and Shot in the Arm. Thank you, Eric, for your interviews. Thank you, Bruce, for for humoring me all these years. As you like, you can always humor me, Eric, because I. <laughs> Okay, guys, enjoy these interviews. Tell us what you think of these uh, these movies as well. And thanks again for listening to us on Cinematics. Take care. All right. Hey, Eric. Hello. Well, I'm here with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson and uh, Scott Hamilton Kennedy. I'm just Eric. You guys took all the names, but that's fine. We'll work through it. Uh, but it's the uh, producer and director of Shot in the Arm. Um, I guess I'll start with... Uh, when watching this documentary, I don't think I fully appreciated what this was about because, you know, uh, a lot of the movies we cover are indie movies and documentaries. And so I've seen uh, plenty on like 2020 and I was like, OK, this uh, documentary about COVID is pretty good. But it wasn't until after I was done watching the movie kind of reflected on it a bit. This isn't about COVID. This uses COVID to kind of uh, accentuate a problem of disinformation and our own personal biases. And this is what happens when it gets left unchecked. Um, just uh, I can't begin to tell you how pleased I am that you recognized exactly the mission statement of that film. Because, you know, you can make a film, I, I don't want to speak for Scott, but I know I'm, I'm, I'm there with him, where you can make a film with your own intent of how it will land and how it will be received. And that doesn't always match how it's actually received. So for you to notice that there's a bigger story here than just COVID and a vaccine and the measles and a vaccine means Scott succeeded in his storytelling. Thank you. And uh, Scott, uh, Neil, what, what kind of brought you two together to put this together? Uh, you mentioned the mission statement, but like what, what got the ball rolling? I was minding my own business. Yeah. <laughs> we met before. We like a collaborator before. Um, he was he was a, a script consultant and narrator on my previous film, uh, Food Evolution. That was a reset of the conversation around GMOs and a lot of overlap between anti-GMO disinformation and anti-vaccine disinformation. I actually just but anti-science disinformation. That's really what it is. Yeah, and 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 the ties to them saying don't trust that industry, but here, here look at this. We have this other industry we're going to sell you, um, and so we. Uh, established a collaboration there and a, and a friendship. And I, I'm very grateful that he's a mentor to me as well. And 
when I was making this film, I, I, sh- I sent him a rough cut and asked him to tell me how brilliant I was. And <laughs> he made sure that I tightened up the film and made it better. <laughs> I, I saw a, a two hour edit. It's now 90 minutes, of course, but uh, I, and I had a lot of comments on, on not so much the storytelling, cause that's, that's what Scott does, but within the story, he's trying to communicate scientific information in a way that will land sensibly and rationally on a viewer in, in, in the receptors of what could be a very broad range of viewers, you know, people on the fence, people on the uh, political spectrum, people who, who don't trust science, people who do trust science usually, but not in this case, there's a, there's a big variation there. And what I bring to the table, not as an astrophysicist, because I, I I'm not a medical professional, but I bring to the table uh, experience in thinking about how to communicate ideas, facts, information, um, uh, uh, understandings of a scientific result. And there are places, just to give an example, not that you asked, but this is a good example, where Scott will have, in an interview, someone will make a statement that has scientific validity. And I'll say, well, we don't want to just believe them. Do you have a, 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 is there a research paper where you can you know, do a pan on the headline that conveys that or a graphic that you can uh, produce. Just put that in there so that it's not just words coming off the screen. There's some extra supportive content to carry those words. And that will live right alongside the highly emotional storytelling about families and children and lockdown and education and, and, and this lost not a lost generation, but lost years within people's very a crucial time in their educational trajectory. Um, you feel this the whole time. And I didn't want to subtract from that. I just wanted to add. And that's that was my role as script consultant. And then he promoted me to executive producer. And the last time I'll agree to that. <laughs> only for me neil that's all <laughs> just 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 the effort and the exposure and the media and and and, and i can do this um but i'm just saying the working on a film and whatever i'm contributing it's a fraction of the total time this man has put in over the last four years so I, i'm not i can't ask him for sympathy here because i know i'm not getting it it's not gonna happen <laughs> Well, uh, one of the things I noticed that you did in this documentary is, uh, like, I think a lot of us know Andrew Wakefield and his legacy. Um, but his biggest sin isn't that he said that vaccines causes autism. It's that in spite of the evidence to show that that is not the case, he still leans into it because it's not even his biggest sin. No, hold on. Just to be clear. Yeah. There's nothing wrong in science with publishing a result that turns out to be false. Okay. Nothing. That happens all the time on the frontier. Okay. So what happened was that result, because it had such implications, cultural, societal, medical implications, the press was all over it, reporting it. But so were other scientists. They said, really? Let me double check that. Really? I'm not sure about that. And so that's the normal process. And so what happens is, other scientists check that result and paper after paper after paper, no one is able to verify it yet parents, which this movie captures brilliantly 
uh, beautifully, emotionally, parents who heard that the vaccine might cause autism and had a kid who had the vaccine and gets autism. Uh, uh, this He's talking to them. They cannot think outside of the fact that a medical professional validated their suspicions. Yes. It, 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 is, a, it is a confirmation bias of the highest order. But, but, but hold on. So I'm not done yet. So now it's, it's, it, we find out that that's not the issue here. The issue was he was paid by a law firm to pose the possibility of this link so that parents with autistic kids could sue the producers of the vaccine and create a pot of money that they could benefit from. It was fraudulent. Oh, okay. that's, that's what that that's. Okay. All right. So my, my understanding of it was that he, and he's doubled down it. and he continues to say it. Yes. To, yeah. That, that, that was where you left off. Yes. That, that was my understanding was that he, uh, he, he thought of, he had an idea, you know, did whatever test he did. It came out wrong, but he just thought it was right. And then yeah, under, he didn't do tests. He just reported what I gotcha. the parents said. That's even worse. And, and that's, <laughs> that's why the paper was redacted and his medical uh, uh, credentials were rescinded. Right. That's why. Yeah. Well, that just blows my question then. The point I was getting, I wish I yeah, well, say it anyway. Go ahead. Yeah, oh, go ahead. It, it doesn't reply to Andrew Wakefield now, but um, we, we've all been wrong. You know, we've all been wrong. And then so and then we see evidence and we're like, oh, I, I, I guess I was wrong. I changed my thinking. But I, uh, a lot of us have difficulty kind of uh, the things that we believe and hold true in the face of evidence that uh, says otherwise. We have trouble. Uh, and I deal with that daily. Switching our thinking. As an educator. Right. Daily. Right. Daily. And plus, there's the other there's the other psychological part of this where if you are so deeply invested in your own truth, particularly if you were lionized by people around you in the film, we show RFK Jr. saying of Wakefield that in another culture, they'd be building statues to him, right? Yeah. Because he is your advocate against this faceless, um, um, heartless medical establishment. And so I, uh, <clears throat> so so the point is if you're deeply invested in it is he ever going to turn around and say you know I was wrong I was that that doesn't land well with the people who still support him as their hero as, as so so you get stuck in just ego you get stuck in it's hard for me to admit I'm wrong and you get stuck in I have this huge following right that needs me to keep saying this and he does Ooh. I created this following. The loop, yes. Disinformation. There it is. Now I have this following that believes in my disinformation. So yes. even if I wanted to go back, well, they didn't want to go backwards. Now it's like I have to keep feeding them. And that's the irony of it going all the way to to, to January 6th. <clears throat> Excuse me. To January 6th and seeing that that the only reason we included January 6th in the film was because Del Bigtree and other anti-vaxxers were there that day. Yeah, there'd be no reason otherwise, yeah. you know, as... Yeah, mm -hmm. character Karen Ernst points out that she says Donald Trump doesn't even believe, and we've come to see that he didn't believe that this, the election was stolen. But he needs his followers to believe it. And that is mm -hmm. the exact same thing yeah. that these people that are fomenting disinformation around vaccines—they just need to keep those followers believing it, 
so that basically they have a, a, a job and it's, it's dangerous and it's awful. So if you ever get to interview Robert Kennedy Jr., ask him when was the last time he admitted he was wrong? Uh, let's go with never. <laughs> went, to, went to eat a bowl of Rice Krispies. They were bad. That was probably a mistake. Otherwise, I'm perfect and all my uh, ideas are correct. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, geez. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry. My brain's, my brain's all over the place. I'm sorry. I messed you up there. I'm sorry. Oh, oh no, no, no. It's, it's not you. It's me. I, I didn't drink enough coffee today, but, uh, I, I guess one of the things about, um, challenging your own ideas, like, uh, I, I'm a firm believer that the earth is not flat. Um, but you know, this is, uh, I, I've never been to space. Uh, you know, maybe the, maybe the conspiracy theorists are right. So I can do a test. I go up in an airplane. I, if the earth is flat, I should be able to see the ice walls around me. You know, I should be able to see other mountains like far off in the distance. I can't. So that kind of helps confirm in a real life scenario that the earth is not flat. But with something like uh, vaccines, I'm not uh, I can't do those tests. I wouldn't know how to do those tests. So, like, how how do you challenge your own ideas when all you have is the word of other people? So, uh, Scott, give me the the, the the four words that are are. Oh, uh, the, the, some scientists' least favorite four words right now are manipulated terribly by the disinformation uh, artists. Uh, do your own research. Yeah. So, 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 yeah. So, the problem is you can't do your own research on some topics, right? All right. So, what do you do? Do you find an expert who has their view that differs from everybody else and say, this expert, they got pedigree. I see Stanford there. Uh, this is going to follow. Or do you find the person who's reporting on the consensus of experimental results, which has way more likely to be objectively true than any one person that you follow? So, no, you can't say, I want to operate on my on on my dog's brain because it has a brain tumor. So I'm going to do my own no, you're going to take it to an expert. They spend their lives on neurosurgery. Okay. So this whole idea, do your own research. You have to know how you would invoke that. And how can you do that in a way that leaves you, leaves you aware of the, your own biases? Because typically when you do your own research, you type something in. And it takes you and the algorithm sees what you just did. And it takes you right to what you want to hear, feeding your the misinformation that you think is true. So it's tricky, Eric, because you're pointing out a, the, the natural skepticism somebody might have and the desire to. Which want is healthy, which is healthy. healthy. And the desire to want to do their own research. And then the frustration that's like, well, why, why do I have to listen to these other experts? Why can't I find out on my own? And it does, it takes humility. It takes trust, right? That you don't just, I'm not trusting in any given expert. I'm trusting in the, uh, a, the repetition of the results from a variety of experts. And, but then I do, I build trust in an institution if they've proven that they're trustworthy, right? So it's, um, it, it takes time. And, and by the way, institutions by definition in this context is an ensemble of people who are participating in getting the result, not an individual. Who could be a renegade fringe or whatever have survived have survived the checks and balances of that institution that have been that have checked them to see if they're right some of the people 
ruthlessly trying to prove them wrong that might be out of ego uh, of, 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 of fellow scientists, but using science to see if they can prove them wrong. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, um, it's, it's a shame that some of these people have come to refer to as they're not just anti people that are spreading disinformation are not just corrupt. They're corrosive. They're corroding yeah. our yeah. trust in these institutions that have taken decades and sometimes centuries for us to come to uh, believe in them. And it's really dangerous. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't check them. Of course we should check them, but that doesn't mean that you try and check them and then you destroy them, which is right. really lazy and mean and dangerous. And uh, kind of making me appreciate the, uh, the movie Armageddon as crazy as that movie is, it kind of nailed the, uh, yeah, these scientists know everything about everything, but they don't know Jack about drilling. It's like, all right. It's like, <laughs> You, you don't want to refer to the experts when it comes to science stuff, but you absolutely want to refer to the the experts when it comes to drilling, I guess. Don't get Neil started on Armageddon. <laughs> get started on Armageddon. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I guess I got one last question. And uh, this one, uh, we have a what's in the box segment. And uh, in the box, we have uh, movies that we have people put in that they think are underseen that, uh, that you know, like, oh, this one's really good. And no one talks about it. I'd like people to talk about it. So uh, what's a movie each of you would like to put into the box? Oh, fun. I love that. I want to hear some. I want to hear some of the ones that are in the box, obviously, as well. But I'm sure they're on your website. Um I today I will put in the documentary t- tradition today I will put the film Crumb in the box. So wow. Crumb is about R. Crumb, a Zap artist from the really popular seventies and eighties. Um, keep on trucking, the bumper sticker "Keep on trucking" is probably his most famous. But with the with the feet sticking out, yeah. So brilliant, brilliant artist. But this is such a beautiful portrait of an artists of an American family and it's a very damaged American family and and in the hands of a filmmaker that while who loved R. Crumb had the discipline and the knowledge and the respect for the art of storytelling to not just slobber at his feet um, and say oh he's wonderful let's just show a portrait of how wonderful no 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 get into the complexities of who this guy is have an art critic who completely slams him and it's hilarious um, it's a brilliant, brilliant film, um, and a beautiful portrait of, uh, of, of an American family. Yeah. Fantastic film. I would put in the box. Don't look up. Mm-hmm. I love that movie. I love that. Yeah, movie. And, uh, it's, I put it in the category of documentary. <laughs> Same. <laughs> oh, Everything I know about the press, social media, human behavior. Everything tells me that was a documentary. Well, uh, Scott, Neil, thank you for joining me. Give me yours, wait, you got to give us one. Give us one box. What did you put in the box? What did you put in your, what do you have? Oh, I'm in the, I mean, I, I, I say box movies every week because uh, I'm give the host one. of the podcast. Give us one. Give us one. Um, give I'll give you. Uh, the Long Walk. The Long Walk. The Long Walk. By okay. Maddie Doe, not it's not based on the Stephen King book, uh, but okay. uh, there's a uh, Lao filmmaker, Maddie Doe, and her and her husband made this movie called The Long Walk, and okay. it's really, really good. Okay, thank you. Mm. Scary? No, what is it? Uh, it's, you have to watch it. Okay, it, right. it, it's different. All right, awesome. But yeah, uh, nice yeah, to meet you. Him. Where are you based? I'm in Colorado Springs. All right. Oh, no, I'll no be down there next year giving a public talk. So, 
Oh, uh, I'll, yeah, I'll be there. My my uh, my niece. Oh, uh, she's, unless I'm in Denver. Denver. No, I think I'm in Denver, but that's a stone. It's like 40 minutes away. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, thank uh, you. Yeah, th- yeah, thank you guys for coming on. And Neil, uh, my niece, uh, she wants to be a astro engineer. I asked her if she wanted to go in space, and she's like, I want to build the rockets. I don't want to go in one. Yeah, do it. <laughs> and if she ever does go to space, make sure they have money to bring her back, okay? <laughs> <laughs> make sure the budget is there. All right. Well, th- well, thank you guys for joining me. And, okay. uh, oh, the movie comes out, uh, premieres in New York, uh, November 3rd. Correct, November 3rd, and then Los Angeles, November 17th. Yep. Find everything more at shotinthearmmovie.com. Hey, thanks for coming. Come on, let's get her in. She's lost a lot of blood. No idea and had multiple lacerations. I'm with social services. I'm not going to hurt you. Do you know who did this to you? Anything on that girl last night? Let us do our jobs. Girls have been disappearing around for years. This place never disappoints. (laughs) What if there really is someone out there killing lots of them? What are you feeling, me? Hmm. Women get reported missing all the time. Hey. And most of them turn out to be nothing. Be ready. These type of situations are lost cause. Stay the fuck out of my job. Never some bitch asking just a lot of questions. Fading down. Jeez. So beautiful. You hear the music? just couldn't leave it alone, could you? I just need a little more time. Darla, this is your salvation. I'm here with uh, Andy Armstrong, Daniel Bergio, uh, director, writers, and producers of Squealer. I guess I want to start off with you guys have an extensive uh, stunt background. And mm-hmm. there's, uh, you got like the Hal Needham, David Ellis, Chad Stelheski, Jesse B. Johnson. Like these are stunt people turning to directors, and they're usually really good. Actually, I'm trying to think of a bad one. I can't. Um, and you guys are no different. Like, what? What is it about working in stunts that you think make uh, people really good filmmakers? Um, I think it's a, I think stunts within any film is a sort of, is a, a story within itself, you know, and you have to, for stunts to work, they have to, they, you have to be able to, you know, tell the story of someone being a victim or someone being the aggressor or whatever. So I think it's uh in a way, it sort of is a, is a quite a good grooming process for for filmmaking. Um, Jesse, who you mentioned, actually, is my nephew, Jesse Johnson. Oh, all right. Well, <laughs> I'm amongst a family of royalty. This well, is nice. a huge family. We are of uh, all stunt people. <laughs> yeah, and what? And also, uh, another thing that kind of stands out with Squealer is usually like a 
Uh, some people, when they make a movie, it's usually action oriented. And there's some action in this, but this is mostly what I might call a horror thriller. Um, yeah. That's not usually the route stunt people go to. Uh, what kind of uh, what attracted you to this story and kind of got the ball rolling on this one? I think, uh, Danielle, do you want to answer that? It's a. Uh... Um, so Andy and I actually worked together many, many years ago in the in the stunt world and very quickly connected on the fact that uh, we both were really more interested in uh, writing and producing and in his case, directing. And it was something that we wanted to join forces on for a long time. But our schedules were all over the place and it was years before Stars Aligned. But and when they finally did, we we said, OK. This is, we're going to do it. We're going to make a movie together. Um, and Andy said, what should we do? And I said, remember that story you told me many years ago about that pig farmer turned serial killer? It it had stuck with me all these years. And so it was just, that was kind of a no brainer. That was definitely the way we wanted to start off. And the first story we wanted to do together. Um, and so we Andy had written many scripts and was a beautiful mentor and support system for me. And we found pretty quickly early on that we, uh, we complement each other quite well in the process. Uh, I particularly love working with somebody. Um, I had written some smaller things, but not a feature. And so having a writing partner for me is amazing. And especially Andy, because he, um, he just taught me so much, but he also supported me. And what he does so well is uh, he's so creative and comes up with all kinds of fantastic ideas. So we found that he's, he would be the one to sort of get it started. And then I would be the one to kind of bring the structure to it. And that's how we kind of like ping pong back and forth. And, um, and now we've been writing together, I think for five years, we have a, a few projects together, but this is our first out. So it's been an awesome project yeah. together. Could you go a little bit deeper into the the writing process between the two of you? Like, the, the, does one of you take the keyboard and it's like, all right, I'm stuck here. You take it. Okay, let me get the scene. Or like, how exactly is the workflow with that go? We literally sit at the table together and and sort of bounce ideas, and it's uh, it's a very very productive process. We find we end up writing quite fast, and uh, I think it's. I, I think it's purely the fact that we have very, we bring different qualities to the to the table, you know. And it's uh, I I have loads of ideas, but often, you know, eighty percent of them might be utterly insane. So, so, but <laughs> those are the good ones, though. In truth, they're all great and they're all brilliant. Some of them, some of them fit, and some of them don't. So uh, the first thing that we did was we we went old school style and we did the index cards and we had laid them out all over his dining table. <laughs> um, and then once we got to writing, we would uh, sometimes we would write the scene together. Sometimes he would take a stab at it, and then and then I would take the next pass, and we'd go back and forth. We didn't really have a, any like hard rules about the way we did it. I think we just kept kicking each other forward. You know, sometimes I find as a writer, like I get really stuck. So having a partner is just like whatever we have to do to keep just like pushing each other forward. Yeah. And what and you mentioned uh, is based on uh, the serial killer, I think Robert Picton. Um, yeah. So what goes into uh, 
you know, you have movies like Zodiac, which is based on Zodiac Killer, but then you have movies like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is sort of based on Ed Gein. Like, what what went into the decision-making process of, uh, we're going to base this on a serial killer, but it's not really going to be about that. It's going to... We're closer to the sort of uh, Texas Chainsaw direction in that it's it's sort of inspired by a, a real story, but we were very conscious of not not wanting to offend some of the real victims' families because it, unlike most sort of serial killers that get made into stories, this one's quite recent. So the the families of his victims are still very much alive and in existence. So we we were very conscious of uh, the sort of being as, as respectful as we could. To the to the victims' families, and that's that's really it. We didn't want to we didn't want to sort of uh, sensationalize something horrible that happened, really uh, specifically. While uh, still finding a balance on picking up on so many of the really juicy story points that are part of the true story. So um, I think a lot of the not all of, but I'd say a good percentage of the squealer backstory and storyline was inspired by the truth. And then the other storyline that weaves into that is the story of Lisa, the social worker. And obviously that's all completely uh, fictionalized. So the way that they just kind of uh, blend together. Yeah. I I guess there's a bit of separation too, though. Like if it's, uh, if it's just kind of uh, mostly fiction, you can get a little exploitative without it feeling gross. Whereas if it's real life, it's like, uh, no. That's we want to be very, very mindful. Um, Like Andy said, it's uh, this individual is still in prison and a lot of the family families and people that were involved in this story are still alive. So we, we didn't want to um, tread on any of that. That would be disrespectful. Yeah. Also, not to belabor the stunts, but I rarely get a chance to talk to stunt people, and I love you guys. But uh, so um, I'm looking at your IMDb, like, uh, Danielle, you've done stunts on One Hour Photo. Andy, you've done stunts on The Firm. And these are, like, you think stunts, you think, like, big action movies. Mm -hmm. You don't think The Firm. You don't think One Hour Photo. Like, Uh, what can you kind of talk me talk to me about, like, what stunts you did for those and some more kind of uh, stunt work that isn't as flashy and you wouldn't think of as stunt work. Yeah. I mean, that's really that type of stunt work has really been my sort of forte. You know, I wanted to, I, I, I don't, I really dislike movies that have tons and tons of stunt work just sort of thrown at them because you, because you can do it. I think it's a lot of movies that I've come on to, to do the action and, I've often taken action away because I think I think there's a lot of movies right now that suffer a little bit from wall to wall action from the start to the end. And if if you're not careful, you you lose the ability to really highlight one particular piece of action or whatever. So for me, every bit of action I've done, I've tried to build around whatever that character would do in real life. You know, and the the firm. You know, I tried to build a lot of things that that Tom Cruise could do himself, so that it, it I didn't want any of the action there to be to feel forced or to feel overly spectacular. It, it sort of drives me mad when you you have the sort of classic 
uh, B movie where there's a you know a woman that's a housewife, and then within two scenes she can you know hit someone at a thousand yards with an Uzi and you know throw knives and do martial arts and things. You know, and it sort of drives me crazy that sort of thing because it's it's just so far away from reality. I love I love to build in the flaws and and the, the things that people have that uh, that shape their character. Uh, you know the Tom Cruise character. That character in the in the book was written as a much bigger man. So we created that whole end sequence so that it could be something that a, a smaller guy like Tom could could do. And I, I think that's really where I've uh, that's been my profession really over the last thirty something years is uh, is is creating action that's believable for that character. And I like to do as much of it as I can with the real actor and not not with stunt people just use the stunt people for often for victims in a fight or whatever but just just try and create action around the character um and so in this film we wanted to we didn't we really wanted to sort of not make it uh, overly action driven you know because it isn't it's a sort of a it's the it's the threat and the danger that's there really i didn't want to have anything that was sort of uh, that looked like a stunt yeah um also uh yeah uh i guess uh, uh we also have a uh, what's in the box segment um in the box we have uh people put in movies that they think are underseen or they wish uh more people would watch uh what are a movie what's a movie that each of you would like to put in the box um Older movies, probably Bad Day at Black Rock, wonderful movie. Um, a movie called Charlie Varick, uh, which was directed by Don Siegel. And, and actually, Charlie Varick was a movie shot at, in Las Cruces, New Mexico. And I, there was that movie and there was uh, The Getaway, which was a Sam Peckinpah, Steve McQueen movie, also shot in Las Cruces, New Mexico. And that's... That was the basis of us wanting to go there because I'd, I'd seen those movies years and years ago and I, I loved the place. But I, I think there's a lot of those great movies from the, from the 70s that, were, uh, that haven't been seen that were sort of B-movies in their day, but they're, they're wonderful when you look back at them now, you know. And Danielle? Well, since we're, since we're in the horror genre world, the first horror film that really stood out to me and got me was a much older movie with Charlie Sheen and Jimmy Smith's called The Believers. And I think that might be something people, I don't know how it's going to hold up today because it is <laughs> from the eighties and it might not hold up at all, but I could tell you when I saw that movie back then, it really did a number on me. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll, we'll find out one way or another, okay. but uh, Andy, Danielle, uh, thank you for joining me. And uh, Squealer comes out, this friday november 3rd and i I would recommend everyone check it out so uh good luck with that and uh, congratulations thank you very much